Well, isn't it a great day out there today? You know, it's so good. Wouldn't you like to go fishing? Does anybody here like to fish? Super looking day out there for that, isn't it? Yeah. Well, can you imagine going fishing with Jesus? Can you imagine how many fish you could catch? You would catch fish and not just fish, but you would actually... It's not that you're fishing for fish whenever Jesus would be around. You just catch them. And then that be it. You know, when you go fishing, you stand around and you wait and you sit and you wait and wait. And you may go the whole time without getting a bite. And uh, But we know we have some people here that like to fish. Good. I'm sure uh, if you've fished at all, you have a fish story, right? And everybody has some kind of fish tail. And some of you probably have some real whoppers that you could tell. But at the same time, um, you know, we think about good memories and that. I used to do it as a kid a lot, and we had a railroad pond where I lived in, in Eldon, and it was really only about a quarter to a half mile away, and that was easy. I'd just take my pole and uh, dig some worms around there and go to the railroad pond and uh, catch some sunfish and uh, little, little fish. But uh, I'll never forget those days, and then my dad took me down below the dam. Has anybody ever done that on the Osage River there? And of course, he took me there quite a bit. But uh, on our journey through uh, life, we have a lot of memories. Our journey through the Gospel of Luke, we're at one of the greatest fishing stories ever. I mean, this story here is just truly beyond our human thinking. The story is all true. I mean, there's nothing that is made up here to make the story juicier. You know, we always like to make our stories a little bit more spicier. We don't want to bore people, right? But uh, I'm not telling you to make up lies, but sometimes they seem bigger than what they really are sometimes. But Jesus takes some professional fishermen that did it every day. They did it for a living on a fishing trip that they would never forget. They never forgot this one. But it wasn't just about catching fish. It was of much more importance. It changed these men's lives forever. And uh, their lives already were changing because they had ran into Jesus. But now, at this stage, it now takes hold. And uh, there's a call here. There's a call for them to be disciples, to follow Christ As they followed Christ, they would now fish for men, people, not just fish, right? There's one thing that's true of Jesus and His ministry among people. It's that He came to make people different. He just didn't come here to show off, show that He was powerful, but He came here to change us, to make us different. He didn't offer some kind of a neat little package of a sermonette of about 15 or 20 minutes, and that's good for the week. And what He did, He made sure that they heard, He wanted them to hear, and then go away with something that has made them changed. He didn't want them to leave as if nothing had happened. And of course, that's the way it is here. We just don't want to read through God's Word and say, that's nice, I've heard that story before, that's pretty cool, then to move on. We want this to change your hearts, right? So when you you come into contact with Jesus, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to listen to Him or you're going to reject Him. You're either going to follow Him 
or not. And that's the way the whole world is divided. Either people are following Christ or they're not following. Jesus called people to be His disciples. He called men to be His disciples and His last words on earth in Matthew 28, for instance, is uh, really the Great Commission and it's about people going forth, people who are followers of Christ and making disciples of all men. So in this passage, we see the beginning of that call. It's a call to discipleship. And we've had that calling if we are believers. But He's always continuing to call us to come closer. Follow Him closer. I'm going to give this title here two titles today. One of them is Leaving Everything to Follow Jesus. That's what I gave Julia whenever I think I sent it to her later this week. And as time went on, I think I woke up Saturday morning and I said, huh, I'm going to give it a second title. And so this could be the first title or the second title, but it's called A Divine Fishing Appointment. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for who You are. You are a great, powerful, amazing God. And we see the power of deity in this passage today. But it is always done for a reason. When you show your power, it is to glorify you, but it's to bring people to you as they gaze at you. And Lord, help us catch a view of your holiness, your righteousness, your mercy. And may this Word speak to us today. May it not be some story that we've heard many times. And we think it's a neat story, but that it would make an impact on us as it did those fishermen that day. And you are the kind of powerful God that makes the change in hearts. Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Alright, we're in Luke 5. Let's. uh, Why don't we take our Bibles... Let's turn to Luke 5, starting at verse 1. Let's stand. And we see Jesus in action. And that's what we continue to see as we just read through these Gospels and study them week after week here. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around Him and listening to the Word of God, He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put it out a little way from the land. He sat down, began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water, let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, "Uh, Master, uh, we... We worked hard all night and and caught nothing. But uh, I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. They came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink But when Simon Peter saw that he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. 
for amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Him. You can be seated. This is quite another picture. You can just picture this. Think of this lake. A beautiful day. Galilee, and these boats. People all around had to be an amazing scene. So kind of put yourself into this place. Take yourself back a couple thousand years. And just imagine if you were there. This verse here opens up, Now it happened, that while the crowd was pressing around him, now it happened, or it came about, and... It's, it really is not telling us when this happened. It's not telling us um, how much time has gone since the end of chapter 4. Remember they had been at the synagogue. In the synagogue, there was a casting out of a demon. Right? We know that the, the Lord had done that kind of thing. We know that uh, later on... Um, he heals Peter's, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, if you remember that, because she had a terrible, almost a deathly fever, and immediately he healed that. Then when the Sabbath was over, the people just, by the, by the must have been the tens, the hundreds, that kept coming to that house because they heard that Jesus was there and they, heard, they knew about His healing, so, and He healed every one of them that came there. And then it said that um, He kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea, although He's actually in Galilee, so He will do preaching in Judea also. But that's where He's at at this time. We don't know if it was the next day, uh, but we know that he has to keep preaching the kingdom of God. He's not going to stay at Peter's house and uh, just keep healing people there. He has to get all over the land of Judea, Galilee. He has to go everywhere. So here we are now. Could have been the next day. It could be days later. It doesn't say. That's not important. But we know that that's where he has been in um, for a, a little short time. So it's indefinite. He's still preaching. He's in Galilee. He's right at the lake of Gennesaret teaching the Word of God. And we see here that the crowd was pressing around him listening to the Word of God. They're, they're pressing in on him. So you have to think about this. This is a huge crowd. Uh, we're not talking about 50 or 100 people. We're probably talking hundreds and hundreds of people. And who knows he preached before thousands of people at one time, at many times, didn't he? So, if you could actually heal, and heal right at the very moment that you wanted to do it, if you could do that, do you think you could draw a crowd? I don't care who you are. If you had that kind of ability to heal anyone at a moment's notice, people would be drawing around you. And it wouldn't be just a few people. It'd be a lot. Every disease 
He took care of. He could heal all the people. And it was instantaneously. It was permanently. And that's exactly what He was doing. The crowd was just exploding. They kept growing and growing into huge numbers. And you can picture that in your mind, can't you? And there it is. They're on the shore on this lake here. And they know about His power. And He is unique. There is nobody like Him. The power of His preaching was incredible. The power of His miracles is incredible. This is God. Now most of the people don't know that yet, but they know that He's something different. He is the greatest communicator that the world has ever known. There's never been a, a better spokesman ever. He is God. And in fact, Jesus is called the Word of God. The power, can you imagine it? So, And back in those days, just like today, if you are a tremendous speaker, it will draw people. And of course, the miracles are definitely, them alone could be drawing all these crowds. But no one was so clear in their teaching as Jesus. No one had such a grasp of the language. He knew the language so well, He gave it to them. He created that language. No one had ever been so precise in truth because He is truth. I am the way, the truth. He's life, right? So there He is on the Sea of Galilee and there's nothing like this. There's not that. There's no PA. I've got to watch out. Drums are here. Non-door. Don't get too crazy, right? But, okay, in this room, I could do okay and just work like this. Now, it's probably it could seem a little deader. By the time you get to the back, you could maybe sometimes you say, I didn't quite hear him. But usually, you know, I don't really need it, but it sure helps me. I don't have to strain so much. Can you imagine the power of Jesus' lungs and his voice wherever he spoke in front of thousands of people? And they're able to hear Him. And a lot of times He would go, it didn't hurt to have some kind of a, an amphitheater effect. And of course where He's at here, that's what He's going to, to use as He gets out into the boat and His voice cast out among them. And uh, so, you know, this, this is where he's at. He's finding himself pressed back to the water's edge now because they're coming in on him. You ever been in a crowd? You ever been in a concert? And everybody wants to get to the front? And all of a sudden you look back there and, you know, there's somebody breathing down your neck. You know, and then they're yelling at the end of a song and they're yelling so much. You, a matter of fact, it sounded like my ears one time was just, just went out. It went into a, a different focus and it, it's like it wasn't there for a moment. It, it was kind of eerie because when you hear girls screaming at the top of their lungs with everybody else, it's really loud. People press in to each other. And uh, so that's what's happening. And either he's going to have to walk on water, <laughs> which he could very well do, or he's going to have to get in a boat. And this is what he's had in all in mind anyway as they get closer. If he gets on a boat, then they're not going to be pushing him into the water and then falling back, right? You know. And so this is the idea. Well, what are they doing here? Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to what? The Word of God. That's the reason they came there. 
Now, granted, many are there for the healings, and that's okay too, but the Word of God is what's impressed on our hearts here. And I want you to think, just imagine, the Word of God being preached by the Logos, or the Word. The Word of God being preached by the Word. Listening to the Word of God. Kind of interesting. It it literally means this, and to us it may not mean much difference. It means listening listening to the Word that comes from God. When we read this, we're actually reading and listening to God's voice as we read this. Isn't that incredible? We're listening to Him. It's the Word that comes from God. So they were listening to the Word that comes from God. And this is the first time that Luke uses that expression. We like to use it here a lot. What is it? The Word of God. The Word of God. We, we take that almost in a technical term, but to them, as it's written here by Luke, he means the Word that came from God. You never found Jesus going to a library and saying, oh, i got a message i got to do tomorrow. <laughs> And I gotta find some things about this, and he's pulling out, you know, books and stuff, or scrolls, if you may. Maybe he goes to the synagogue. No, he he didn't ever do that, did he? Well, yours truly, I have to go check out the books and everything. I need some help on this passage because there's going to be some people here Sunday that we all need to be fed the Word of God, right? So I'm accountable for that. And I just can't come up with read it and say, hey, I've read this before. Here's what, we'll just read it and I'll start talking about it. I don't do that. And I'm, aren't you thankful that I don't do that? I, I would be lazy. And by the way, I would run out of things to say within about ten minutes. I would have a sermonette. Uh, but, you know, you start looking into it and getting the depth out of other people who have done that. And granted, they are not God. They are. They didn't write the Word of God, but God gifted these people who are writers and communicators, preachers of the Gospel. And they have used people down through the years. And if you can get their thoughts along with thoughts that they have quoted from, who quoted from people that go all the way back sometimes to uh, close to the uh, 2nd century uh, early church fathers, and then we have the inspired Word of God is right in that first century. So uh, he didn't have to study. He just was there and he, what did he do? He spoke the Word coming from God. He is God, right? He opened his mouth and God spoke. Amen. That is amazing to me. Man, I have to really work hard and try to dig this out and try to get some things here that nobody here has thought of so you can get some room for growth and something to chew on. For and believe me, it I get the best I used to say blessing out of it because I get to read and study on it all week. And so I, I like that. But I can't imagine as soon as we get to heaven, all of a sudden we'll be looking for books to kind of explain this passage. You know, when we get to heaven, we're already going to know. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to know it all. It'll take an eternity to find out who God is. We will learn more and more and more. And so it won't ever get boring, folks. Matter of fact, it'll become brighter and brighter and brighter. It'll just keep getting better and better. This is a clear day. Did you know that this is a dark and kind of lightly, it's very dim. 
When we read the Word of God, our understanding here is dim compared to the light it's going to be revealed. There is truth coming from this man who is speaking the Word of God. They were listening to the Word of God that was about the kingdom. It was about the Gospel. It was about the, the good news. It was about the grace of God. It was about salvation. It was about forgiveness of sins. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. That's what He spoke all the depth of this Word of God here that we read. It's the aim. It should be the aim of... Well, if biblical pastors' aim is this, that they be servants of the Word of God. That we take it and serve it out. We have communion, right? We're served that sometimes. Or we come and get it, right? But we fill up on who Christ is. It's my duty to, to serve it out. To preach... Jesus' words here, like like today, God's Word, that's what I have to do. If I do anything else, I'm held accountable for that because that's absolutely worthless if it's anything else. People ought to come and press in to hear the Word of God, right? Just like I am bound to preach it and to and also to hear the Word of God myself, the congregation and God's people want to press in or actually listen to the Word of God. So, you know, I, I don't need any stories. I don't need any kind of entertainment up here. We can get that 24 hours a day somewhere else, can't we? We don't come here to get entertained. We do come to worship, but we don't need the stories. We don't need the entertainment. What is it that we need? And I mean really need. We need the Word of God. Do you think those people needed the Word of God? I don't care where you're coming from, what angle, what happened this week, what has happened in your life, all the way through, this is what we need right here. And so that's why we just go through it. We just say here's what this is, here's what's going on, and we let God's Spirit work on us then. Now where's this scene at? It's the Sea of Galilee that we're familiar with. You don't see that in our passage. Luke doesn't call it the Sea of Galilee. He calls it the Lake of Gennesaret. I think there's a real reason why he does that. I'll let you in a little secret. That Lake of Gennesaret... That's exactly what it is. It's a lake. It's not really a sea. Whenever I was a kid, I always thought, oh, there's a Mediterranean sea. There's this sea here, you know, where Jesus taught, where the disciples were so much of the time. The Sea of Galilee. And Luke says, this is not a sea. Luke traveled, he was a world traveler. And he had been on the seas, the Aegean Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. He knew those. And he comes to the lake and he goes, yeah, that's a lake. It's not a sea. You know, it's 13 miles long and it's 7 miles wide. Um, it's not as big as the lake of the Ozarks. Now that's a huge looking lake when you see, you know, where how much land that takes up. And I think beach-wise there's still like 1,300 miles 11 or 1300, something like that, around uh, the Lake of the Ozarks, a uh, beachfront property or whatever. No. <laughs> um, this, this is uh, Galilee, and really in the language there, it, Galilee means like a circle. 
And that's kind of like in the shape of the Lake of Galilee, <laughs> the Sea of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee. You'll see that otherwise listed in other places. That's what they called it. So it's okay. It's, uh, so it's not inaccurate if somebody uses that. But Luke just couldn't bring himself to saying that. Um, anyway, if you were looking at the book of Numbers 34.11, we're going to turn there. Joshua 13.27, you have the Sea of Chinnereth. The Sea of Chinnereth, it's called there. So it has different names. Uh, you have north of there, the Mount Hermon, and you've heard, heard of Mount Hermon. It still exists today. That mountain's still there. It's way up north. And of course, then you're getting close to Syria there, but the water rushes down from there. You have the great snow caps, and it melts, comes on down, and of course, into the lake. And of course, even coming out of the lake, then you see the, the Jordan River, and the Jordan River then goes all the way down to, what is it? The Salt Sea or the Dead Sea. There again, it's not like what a Mediterranean Sea is, but that's uh, like minerals. That's where they all gather at, and it, it is dead in the sense that there's no fish living in there. There's nothing living there. You can go there and have uh, bathing, and many people do. And, and if you go there, you'll just float. You can't sink there. That's how dense it is in that Dead Sea. But uh, Mount Hermon, then you have the lake, then you have the Jordan River, and then down at the bottom. And Of course, it's kind of a spiritual lesson there. You have God and... Him giving us fresh water into the the Sea of Galilee, and it, it streams forth and goes down through the Jordan, and it goes into this finally this Dead Sea, which uh, if it doesn't get anything, then it's going to dry up, right? Uh, but eventually, that that uh, that Dead Sea will come back to life. There will be life in it. And so that's what it is. It, that represents a, a, a new birth for it even, even though it's dead. And so we were dead spiritually, right? Mm. Jesus spent a lot of His time around the lake. I think I would have too. Beautiful area. Around the shoreline. Out in the boats. Good place to speak to people because you could be at the shore and there would be a slope and there he would be. It's like a natural amphitheater, if you've been at that, and and an amphitheater like at the park out on the uh, the east east end there, Riverside. Riverside. They have an amphitheater there, and you know there you have where people sit, and the voices can project into there. Now these days, I think if they have a play there, they probably have um, a PA system. But yet it, it's nice to know that hey, people could be speaking, and people could still hear them in that amphitheater. So, what, what do you have here? You have the people pressing around. They're listening to the Word of God. And he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So now we have that. He saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. There's nobody in the boats. The fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. So they're washing their nets. They're fixing their nets. They're getting them ready for the next time they go out fishing. Um, they had a fruitless night. <laughs> they absolutely had no success at all. I think God actually had a hand in that. 
There's a reason. And when He does seem like He takes things from us, actually in His other hand, there is much more than you can even imagine what He's really going to give us. It just may not come at the time that we would expect, but believe me, He knew that night that they didn't catch anything. And I think He kept the fish from being caught. But the next day, you know what's going to happen. I mean, He's going to more than make up for this, right? This is the kind of God we have. And it's really, there's a lesson in this. It's not like He's just trying to be mean, you know, play a trick on you. But uh, the fish come to the surface and to the shore at nighttime. It's really close to the shore. They come up to the surface. That's why they fish at night. You think, oh, they fish during the day, right? Where they can see. No, they fish at nighttime. That's kind of good to know. That's why this is going on here. They fished at night. They came up with nothing. Now, that's pretty rare to come up with nothing. We'll talk about those nets in a moment. If in Gal- if you're in Galilee, most of the time it's a blazing sun. It's hot. It's middle of the day. It is bright. They don't have any clouds in the sky like we do here. Like yesterday, it was a really beautiful blue, gorgeous sky. Is it like that today? Just like that again. It's just real gorgeous, right? But um, So the fishermen, they typically fish at night. During the daytime, what do they do? Well, they repair their nets. Somewhere along the line, they sleep <laughs> during the day, I guess. But they've got to prepare their nets for the next day, night that they're going to go fishing, right? So, on the days, they repair their equipment. Jesus sees these boats. Now, these boats, you're probably thinking of a rowboat or a really small kind of boat with you get two or three people in, maybe four. Um, these are a little bit bigger boats. They're not ships, but they're big boats. When you have crews of people on the boats, they're fishing boats. So that plays a, a good hint there of what's going on because Jesus is doing something intentionally. He's doing something that is purposeful sovereignly purposeful. He has this all in mind of what He's going to do. And, uh, of course, He always does. It was time, and I want you to listen to this right here because this is hitting at the heart of what's going on. It was time to bring Simon Peter to full commitment following Christ and to bring those who are also with Him as fishermen to follow also. They're going to follow His leadership. They're going to learn how to lead. So you have James and John who are brothers. You have Peter. You also have Andrew, not mentioned here, but this is what's going on because they're part of the fishing team, the fishing business. And Jesus had first met Peter back in the first chapter of John. That was the first time There's a second time, and you would find that in Mark 1, 16-20, or in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18-22. to So that was kind of a second calling, and, and Peter, and you have James and John present at that time, really. Uh, they're the sons of a man named Zebedee, 
was part of this kind of fishing business at least at one time. So they're all partners in this business of fishing. They know each other well. They know Jesus. There was a first calling of Peter. There's a second calling along with James and John. Now Jesus is getting to know Simon. Here I call him Simon. He's known as Peter. Uh, he's not really known as Peter till later. Peter means rock. Think about that. You don't usually see Peter as a rock through the Gospels. It's really not until the book of Acts, but um, play on words, I guess, in a way. But uh, Jesus had gone to Simon's house. He probably he already kind of knew him uh, concerning John 1. Uh, Simon knows about him. Simon knows about the miracles. Simon has heard him preach. He's a part-time follower. There's already been two calls. So now we come into Luke 5, and this is where uh, Luke puts him into the story here. Uh, He's a little bit of a fisherman, and he's a little bit of a follower of Jesus. He has to make a living, so he continues his fishing. That's what he's doing here. And we know that Jesus has stayed in Galilee. Peter could could connect at certain points with Jesus. When he wasn't fishing, then he would go hear Jesus, right? So he's a part-time follower. He's not known as a disciple or an apostle yet, but he's kind of... You know, following Jesus. He's he's a fisherman. Jesus knows Peter. It is time to take Simon Peter to another level. Simon Peter doesn't know this is going to happen. But this is what Jesus has already set up. Do you see how sovereign He is in His calling and his mercy and he sets it up and you know they know each other now we get into Jesus' miracle and this is at verse 4 through 10 so he got into one of the boats happened to be Simon's he knows Simon so he gets into that and evidently Simon is right there at that time and he says hey I want you to go out a little bit from the lamp push this get this big boat and put it out a little bit where everybody can see me and and hear me and they won't be pressing in on me. And uh, that's what that's what his idea is here. And that's what he's going to do. He's, and he sat down on the boat now. And that was what was proper at that time. He would be in the synagogue and he would sit down to teach. Hmm. That sounds like a pretty good thing. Here it is. I'm standing and there he is. He's He's sitting. And uh, so he does it in synagogues. He does it here. Uh, he's ready to preach the word of God as he has been doing. Uh, now there's Andrew. There's James, John. Sometimes they would fish with a one-man net. A one-man net is something you could handle. Uh, you'd go along the shore, and they did most of their ship uh, uh, fishing. Um, close to the shore as they could. Matter of fact, if they could wade out there with this fishing net, just wading, and being able to use a smaller personal net, they can catch some fish. Now that would be at night time also. Because you see in the day, you know where the fish go? They go out to the middle 
They go out to the deep of the lake. And they go as deep as they can. That sun is shining. I said, it's a good day for fishing. But a fisherman would probably say, well, you know what, it would be better if it was a little bit cloudy. If it was a little bit darker. Yeah, have you guys heard that? Anyway, I'd like to go out when the sun is shining. But I, you know, I get to thinking about that and I go, you know, there were a lot of times where I didn't catch any fish. And it was a bright, sunshiny day and I was trying to take advantage of that bright, sunshiny day. Well, anyway, I've, I've heard of where fishermen do real good where there are shadows, there's trees and, you know, fishing holes, your favorite fishing hole. You know, you sit under that tree and it's kind of dark. You can't really see down in there. Well, at any rate, it would be close to the shore. It would be kind of dark. If you'd have a cord, sometimes, you, you know, you can get up a lot of fish, you know, in your own little deal and it has a, a corks on the top of it and it has some weights down at the bottom where you could go down and get a little, a little bit further down. If you could run into a school of fish, you, you know, then you'd have those weights going down and it's, it's, it could actually sink to the bottom and then you bring it up and you have this school of fish in your net. That's personal. Now, you're not going to get a hundred fish at a time. You don't want to get 50 years, but you might get a few. And sometimes they would do that. Now, that's one kind of net that they'd have. And that's the kind of net we think of, you know, with a handle on it. You know, and, you know, you use a net if you, you know, you use the rod and reel and, you know, you bring up, a, you know, I mean, a really big fish and you have to get that net out to bring him on in. You know, something like that, we'll say. Well, that's not the kind of nets that we're talking about here now. We're talking about professional fishermen with professional equipment because this is how they earn their living. This is what they do every day. They have boats that they have invested in that would cost a lot of money. They were big boats. They were boats that you would have to have. Well, they were big enough sometimes when Jesus would be in the boat, who would be with Him? The twelve disciples and Him. So at least to have 13 people in that boat. So that kind of gets rid of that little thought of a, you know, a two-man boat or whatever, right? A canoe. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bigger than that. These are real fishing boats with all the equipment and everything. And the kind of net that is mentioned here is called the Dictuon. It took two boats, boats to work these nets. You have one boat go out and another boat go out, and it's nighttime, so you're not going out in the middle of the lake. You don't have to go out there because they come closer at nighttime and on shallower water. Uh, this net is like a, it's like a seine. It, it's massive. It's a huge net. How big? About a half a mile of nets. That's a big net. Between two boats, you would have this net. Now, you'd have weights on the bottom, you have corks up there, and, and between the two boats, you would have this wall of net. And everything that was swimming in that area, literally, they would swim and then be collected into these nets. Fish should stay there. Hopefully, a lot of other stuff just or stuff just drops on through the net, and you get nothing but fish. Right? The the potential to catch a lot of fish is incredible. 
That's what they're after. In a business, you don't want to be catching one fish at a time. And after you've been out for about two hours, you catch about four or five fish. <laughs> you, you're you're going to starve at that. Yeah. Well, you may not starve. You just eat the fish themselves. But there are other bills that they had to pay, I guess, right? You had to have a crew of men helping you with a half mile of net piled up on a boat. Can you imagine this? Whenever Jesus is going to say, you know, go out into the deep, um, first of all, we don't go out that far. Why are you asking that, telling us this? And we're, okay, we've got the boats here, Jesus. Now, now Peter's not saying this, but he's thinking this, and I can tell you all the other disciples or the, the ones that were in Peter's business there, they're washing their nets, and Peter says, uh, "Guys, the nets that you're you just cleaned, um, bring them on t- to the boats." What? It's it, Peter. It's it's noon. We don't do that. Well, Jesus said that we're going to go out into the middle of the lake, into the deep. What are they thinking? Peter, you know, you know this business. Why in the world are you telling us? That's really kind of what's got to be going through in their mind. It doesn't say this here. And the callings of these guys, their calling and discipleship, when it's announced by Mark, he doesn't give us all this detail. We've got a lot of detail right here. The other guys just uh, more or less, hey, he called them and they followed. Here we get it. What's going on, Peter? You know he's getting set up here. Uh, is what's happening. So you got the. They're going to have to drag those nets, get all those nets together that they just pulled out that they didn't have any kind of success through the whole night. Peter's experience is probably uh, much, lots of years of fishing. This is his lake. This is his territory. You know, he knows it. This is his area. He knows what he knows, and he, it's like he can't resist telling the Lord this, as we look at in verse five. But I think he held up very well. But what what's going through his mind? So Jesus in verse four, he said to Simon, "Put out into the deep water and let down your net for a catch." All he has to do is say, "Go out into the deep water." Nobody fishes out in the deep water. Because the fish at noontime are where? They're out in the deep water. They're down below. They're not up at the top. They're way down there. Our nets can't get down there. They only go so far. Now, this is what they know. This is what we know. Do you, do you know that Jesus knows this? I'm sure they're thinking, I thought this guy really knew everything. (laughs) Omniscience of God. Matter of fact, he knows exactly where those fish are at. If he wants to see them, he sees them right where they're at. And if they're not there, he can say, and they're all there. This This is the omniscience. This is the omnipotence of God. We see attributes. Do you see deity in this passage? Wouldn't it be great to go fishing with Jesus? 
if you were hungry. Now, sometimes people just like to go fishing. They don't care if they catch anything or not. They just like to be outside and along the lake, right? Wouldn't it be nice if you really wanted to catch a lot of fish and Jesus is taking you there? He knows where the fish are at and He says, over there, about 10 feet. That's where you'll catch them. By the way, be ready. They're starting to do it now. <laughs> now, that would be something else, wouldn't it? Well, that's what's getting ready to happen. Look in John 21, verse 6. This is after the death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus has been walking with the disciples and teaching them for a little while. Um, well, not, not too long. Because... You remember Peter denied Jesus three times? They were saying, hey, hey, that's, that's, that's the one right there. That's the guy who was around, hanging around this Jesus. And Peter felt really bad about it. He repented. His, he had a guilty conscience. Did you know where Peter went back to that time? went back to what he knew that he had done all of his life and where he felt comfortable at. He went back to the fishing hole. Back to the lake. We see, and, and by the way, you've got Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, James and John. Two others of his disciples were together. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Nothing wrong with that. He likes to do that. Would Jesus say that that was a cool thing to do? Yeah. Why is He going fishing? Well, they said to Him, we'll also come with you. They went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught... <laughs> you got it. Nothing. Hmm. That's happened before. It's happened in the story that we're at today. I wonder if Jesus had something to do with that. <laughs> Sometimes we catch nothing. Sometimes nothing happens. Is there a reason for that? Yes. This gives us a lot of hope, folks. When you don't see results, what does He have in His other hand that you don't see? You're going to be amazed when that time comes. Just stay patient. Do what He says to do. And you'll get that reward. Guaranteed. Now, when the day was now breaking... They had been fishing when it was dark, just like they always did. That was the time when you do it. Jesus stood on the beach. Can you imagine seeing that figure on the beach? Hey, who is that? It kind of looks... Nah. Yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? <laughs> he knows they don't have any fish. They answered him, no. Peter saying, no, we don't, don't. We caught nothing. And he said to them, cast the net on the right hand side of the boat. Like I say, wouldn't it be great to go fishing with Jesus? All you have to do is, he says, over there. Cast the net on the right hand side of the boat. You'll find a catch. You'll find it there. They still think that this is some guy Standing, you know, he's a bearded guy standing on the beach. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, to Luke 5? Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, This is John. 
it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. He put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. (laughs) Yeah, wouldn't it be great to go fishing with Jesus? Well, these guys did for the rest of the time that he was with them. They went fishing. Of course, this time we know they go fishing for men. And they catch men. Well, um, so, so that's a later time. He went back to fishing. Catches nothing. Jesus does it. And there's no doubt. This, this is Him. It's the Lord. Of course, you get another story on that. We'll keep moving though. Um, so, Simon Peter... What did he do whenever Jesus says, put out on the deep water where the fish are way down there and you can't catch them? Get all your nets together. Put them in the boats. We're going out. This is a divine appointment to go fishing. We've been there all night. We caught nothing. He could have said that. That's what he's thinking. This is a waste of time. We were in the night and we didn't catch it. How are we going to go out there in the daytime and catch these fish? But you know what's interesting about Simon? He did it anyway. It's called obedience. It doesn't make sense. He's a professional fisherman and you just don't do this. Or if you do do it, you don't catch anything. Didn't do it before. We surely won't do it now. That's what Jesus does, you know. The the when you think of the raising the the dead, about um, waiting three days, right, to make sure that everybody knew that this one who he's going to raise back to life, that they would know that he's dead, and then he brings him back to life. Well, right here. Uh, made sure that they didn't catch any fish and they would really be wanting to. The response here is wholehearted from Peter. By the way, he's not suggesting that they just use the little casting nets. We're talking about the nets that they just got washed and fixed. He does what Jesus asked him to do. He and his brother, the rest of the crew, they all come too. They move out and they take both of the boats, the fishing boats, where you need both boats to use these half-mile nets. And they're separated from each other as they get out there. They're in the deep water. Great big arc there. Long net. And the result of the obedience is found. And you see Jesus' omnipotence here. Of course, we know Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard. And that means to really toil all night. We do that because it's our job and we really worked hard. So when he says that, he's saying, it's like, okay, you're the carpenter. We're the fishermen. We know. Did you know that Jesus knows everything? God knows everything. Everything. He invented fish. He invented the lake. 
He invented the whole idea that man would have nets. Gave him those ideas how to catch fish and to eat them. And to make a living off of them. He knows much more than they can even think about. That's right. There's another great story. That's right. The big fish that swallowed Jonah. A few stories about fishing in the Bible, isn't there? So, it's a simple matter for the God who formed the oceans and who filled the oceans with life, filled the ocean with big fish so that they could be swallowed, like Jonah. He's the one that did all that. This primary reason that we have here in this story is to teach Simon something, and the others, of who Jesus is. They've been impressed so far, but they have no idea how deep this Jesus really is. His miracles were given. He'd been preaching the Word of God. These are His credentials. He doesn't have uh, one of those t-shirts that says, I am the Messiah, or He doesn't have some kind of a little name card on there saying the Messiah. The credentials is the Word of God and these miracles. He is the promised Messiah. He has come. They're listening to His words. They're watching His miracles. And every miracle that He performed was a declaration that He was sent from God. He is God. So, Peter is really getting the idea here. Verse 8, But when Simon Peter saw that, when he saw the boats being filled up, the boats are so filled up they're sinking. Never in their lives did these guys ever have that much fish in the boats. One boat's being filled up, so they, the reason we know there's another boat out there, those guys have to come over there and help them with that net. And the, the boats, oh man, it's sinking. So much fish. Simon Peter has been brought face to face with the power of God. He knows that this was a supernatural event. This wasn't just, hey, we had a great day. You wouldn't believe it, but we filled our boat up. You know, we do that every uh, couple times a year. We get that kind of luck. You know, ha ha ha. It shook him up. He feared God. He had witnessed the healing of his mother-in-law and I'm sure that he remembered that and that was pretty amazing. And then that whole uh, night or whatever it was at his mother-in-law's house or his house, the people kept coming and he, you know, he kept healing. This time it happened to him personally. This is his business. You don't catch, who knows, thousands of fish like this the nets are breaking, the, the, the boats are sinking, but you do have Jesus around. <laughs> this made an impact on his life more than ever before because he's used to this. This doesn't happen. This is an amazing miracle. He's a specialist, folks. He's in the realm of fishing. This is what he does. It's what he does best. What was Peter's response? 
He admits, admits his guilt. That is what the Gospel is to do. That's what it does. It comes in... When, have you ever heard of the Law and Gospel? The Law is part of the Gospel. The Law is a good thing. To unbelievers, it reveals to them that they are sinners. I think most people know that, but then they make light of it and go, hey, that's, you know, I'm just human. They won't use the word sin, and they like to cast that right out of vocabulary, and they will not use that. Oh, I made a mistake. I, I made a wrong decision. Well, that, that's true. But what is it against God? It's a sin. It's falling short of His glory. It is going over the line. Falling short. Going over the line. This is what the Lord requires. He requires perfection. He requires one to be holy as He is holy. Be perfect for I am perfect. That's ridiculous. There is nobody ever in the world outside of Jesus Christ who has been perfect. And we all know that. No man will go around saying that he's perfect. Unless he was a crazy man, some lunatic. Uh, he recognized what? His sin. And he recognized not just the power of God here, he recognized the holiness of God. Get away from me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Remember Isaiah chapter 6? There's the holiness of God shown right there in the temple. And Isaiah, who is a prophet, probably the most righteous man on earth at that time. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst the people of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. God is holy. Whenever His brightness of His holiness is there, people fall to their knees or they repent of their sins. That is what the Gospel should first of all do. That's what the law does. comes in and shows that we're not holy and that He is holy. Everyone who comes to God has to come in this way. They must realize that the wages of sin is death. They have to realize the character of Jesus is holiness. And He's the one who has the power to take away our sins and our guilt and Him alone. We have the need for salvation. I think of Revelation 1.17. This is John who saw this. He was a witness at this time. But in Revelation, decades later, he has a vision of God. I think it's more than just a vision. And I mean, that vision is incredible. We don't have time to read it all. It starts in verse 9. This is the vision of the Son of Man, the Son of God. This is Jesus. And in verse 17, when I saw Him, I fell at His feet like a dead man. And He placed His right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. That's what Jesus does, doesn't He? The merciful, gracious God. Do not be afraid. First and the last, the living one. I was dead. Behold, I lie forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. But John was, he had seen Jesus before. He had walked with him. He served him. And after his death, burial, resurrection, he walked with him. And then he, Jesus ascended. And all of a sudden, decades later, he shows back up in some kind of a vision, however that is. And he sees Jesus. And he sees him in all of his glory, in that glory. And it's like he might as well be dead. Jesus says, okay. It's alright. Don't fear. 
Job, same kind of reaction whenever he knows who he's really talking to. In Exodus, the people don't want to see what Moses is experiencing because they may die. If you see God, you know, there's that mountain where the law was given. Over and over, you see that kind of situation. And so this is why Peter is doing this where he says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. That is good news because he knew he was in the midst of holiness now. He hadn't seen this before. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. What got his attention? The catch of fish. He identified. How about all those other miracles? Who knows? Hundreds and hundreds of miracles that he'd seen. Great. He's fantastic. He's awesome. And he's more than just man. Now it comes to him. He had a bad night fishing. So the other disciples, what are we going to do for our living? You know, we depend on getting our fish and selling it that day. We need the money. Now he's not worried about any of that. He's seeing a holy God. And he's recognizing, I get away from me. I'm sinful. When we know that, folks, we're on the way for eternal life. When people admit it, they recognize it, they know He's holy. He is beyond. Holiness goes beyond anything that we can imagine. He's transcendent. He's otherness. But here, in Luke 5, look at what happens. Amazement had seized him and his companions because of the catch of the fish which they had taken on. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. They were in the same business. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. Here's what's going to happen. From now on, you will be catching men. This is his call. The final call. Peter doesn't have any other option than to follow Jesus full time. Not part time. He doesn't need to be going out fishing for fish. By the way, it makes you wonder, what did they do with all those fish? You ever wondered about that? I have to wonder, you know, this is double, triple. Who knows how much more fish it would be than they usually catch? (laughs) That's a good idea. Now we're thinking, maybe they needed to be fed. Or maybe there was a guy there, a businessman, said, "Hey, I'll give you X and X amount here, and you know, and then you know, the people will, will pay me." For it. No, <laughs> we don't know. It doesn't say that, but I, I like that idea. I wonder if the people got fed right there. Luke's idea here is to say this is what caught, really caught Peter's attention, and for the first time, he really saw the holiness of God. He saw his sin. He's now a follower. Would you <laughs> caught the fish out in the deep in the middle of the day? Fish your way down there. Nobody catches out here during the day. We got the biggest catch that anybody has ever had in this lake. It's impossible. It was impossible. It was really impossible. There's the call. There's a vital lesson here. The Lord is able to bless men, bless people more abundantly than we can ever guess. What does He require of us? Obedience. Peter did what he said. 
And Jesus says you'll be catching men. Do not fear. The mercy of God is here. There's a proper reverence for God. We are to revere. We're to be in awe of God. To see His holiness. But at the same time, He says, do not fear. I am a God of mercy. I'm a God of grace. I'm a God of love. And by the way, I'll make you fishers of men agruo. And it means to catch alive. I want you, you know, we, we catch the fish and then we have to kill them to eat them, right? I want you to catch alive, to be fishers of men, to bring them in, to give them life. They're dead spiritually. They need life. They need to be caught. The Word of God is the net. What's the response to the call? They became disciples. When they brought their boats to the land, we get that answer. They bring the boats back while they're sinking. They left everything and followed Him. This is impossible. Unless you've been called. There's a cost involved in following Jesus. What is it? We sang that song. What was the very last song? Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Take all of me. Everything. There was a cost involved. That means to catch men. It cost them everything. They left their boats. Somebody's going to take care of those boats, but they, they're not going to be doing that business anymore. Literally, they're not. They left their nets. All of their equipment, their tackle, just everything, the fish, their families even, to follow Jesus. That's a cost. That's the cost of one who fishes for men. The cost is the same for every believer here. And you say, where are we going to go? What, what is it? You know, I'm supposed to give up my house and go, right? Go to Africa. Huh? Right where you're at. Because there are people out there in the shallows that need to be caught. The cost of discipleship. So therefore, no one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. It means to be willing to, to go, to do, to be like Christ, to be everything He wants us to be. Everything doesn't work out too good here. but If you want to follow Jesus, you have to do it on His terms. Not our terms. We have to see Jesus for who He is. And it's nothing less than total commitment. When we follow Christ, it's saying, whatever you want, Lord, you got me now. You've been getting my attention, but now this is it. If you're a Christian, that's happened somewhere along the line. The cost was high. You gave up what you had before. The cost is everything that you have and everything that you are. Because you're no longer that person anymore. And that's why He said, you have to really think about it. If you're going to follow, there's no turning back. There's no looking back. And believe me, the way is narrow. The way is really narrow. People look at Christians and what do they consider them to be? Right wing. Narrow. Everything you are. It involves giving up the person that you are to what God is going to make you. 
They wanted the fish from the night before. Sure, of course. Why wouldn't they? We would have. But he had other fish in mind that they didn't know about. And really, that's, that is, is a reward. The person that God is going to make you is so much better than who you were. You guys agree? If you've been a Christian, you can say, yeah, there's a world... I would never want to go back to that. Never. I wouldn't want to go back to that lifestyle. And you guys know where you were being destroyed. Total darkness. You didn't know it at the time. And all of a sudden, light came in. You go, why would I want to go back to darkness when I have light? But the way is narrow. It's a cost. These guys had already believed in these miracles and believed in them, but now they are to they are to be willing to trust the Lord to take care of their families and everything that they have and whatever they need. They saw the one who supplied such a tremendous catch of fish, and now they could rely on him to take care of them, to take care of all the ones who have the needs and, and needs of their families. So they left everything and followed. Christ. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing passage. And what it is to follow Christ. The reason we follow Christ is that You're making us like Christ. Everything that He teaches, we want to observe. We want to follow. We want to put it into our lives. It's not just nice words but it's about our lives. Lord, we want to resemble Christ. We don't want to resemble our old selves. We don't want to resemble the sinful lifestyle that we once had. We want to resemble Jesus Christ. That's the whole goal. That's where You're bringing us. And eventually, in glory, we will be perfectly like Christ. Thank You, Lord, that You're doing a work in us and help us to go out and take our nets to take the Gospel and bring in people to You so they too can know where we came from, where they came from, and where they also can go. Help us to do that as we are disciples, to make disciples. In Jesus' name, Amen.